given among men, whereby we must be saved with the name Jesus. That's a name that never gets old. Amen. Never goes out of fashion. Thank you for being here this uh, this Sunday morning, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I read a little something this week that I think might put a uh, smile on your face. Uh, on the week following Thanksgiving, a uh, pastor had decided that he was going to go on a diet uh, and try to lose some of the holiday weight. Thank you, baby. Try to lose some of the holiday weight he had already put on. But as he went to the hospital, uh, staring right beside of him was a glowing sign, hot now, Krispy Kreme donuts. Having a deep, deep relationship with Krispy Kreme, he began to pray to the Lord. Knowing that he was on a diet, he looked heavenward and said, Lord, if you don't want me to have a Krispy Kreme donut, then when I pull into this parking lot, please don't let there be a parking space. But Lord, if it's okay with you for me to have a Krispy Kreme donut, then you please allow a parking spot to open up. And sure enough, on his 23rd time around, he found a parking spot. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I feel that pain. Now, thank you for being here this Sunday morning. A couple of quick announcements just before our little ones head out this morning. Don't forget, 2.30, all of you who are in our drama, uh, we'll be practicing all afternoon and evening, all scenes uh, and no services tonight as we get ready for that. Boy, doesn't it look spectacular up here? Uh, I think you're going to be marvelously blessed as we present the drama, Do You Believe? Uh, in, in December, you keep that in mind and begin praying about that if you would. But 2.30 today uh, for practices this evening. Also notice uh, on Sunday, December the 10th, we'll have a baby shower for Josh and Jesse, 9.45 in the teen room. Uh, uh, thank you for those that participated this morning. We'll do it again for on uh, December the 10th for Josh and Jesse in the birth of their new baby boy, so pray about that if you would. And of course, uh, our holiday schedule is listed uh, in the bulletin, what we're doing changing service-wise. I'll also remind anybody, any of the gentlemen that can help us during our drama uh, with our parking lot duties, if you'll please see Brother Daryl about that, we would appreciate it. Then two announcements that are not in your bulletin, Sister Gloria needs to meet with those who are going through the gun safety course. We'll do that right over here on my left, your right, after church today. And then those of you who are part of our senior saints, uh, we will be heading to Mount Airy on November the 30th. The bus will leave at 10 o'clock. Again, that'll be a trip day trip to Mount Airy on November the 30th, bus leaving at 10 a.m., and we're sure looking forward to that. All right, all my little ones, come on down this morning. If you're heading to Children's Church, Junior Church, you come on, uh, and uh, those of you that are visiting, they're going to come around, collect any loose change that you've got, and this helps support our ladies' ministries and kids' programming here at SAGBC. Take off, young folks.
folks. Everybody heading to Children's Church, Junior Church. Come on this morning. as always. Oh, keep playing, Mr. Nate. We got three or four more. Keep playing. They can't turn down to these pretty girls with their buckets. Amen. Take it. Wait, wait till you get a $100 bill. Amen. I've said a thousand times, I need to let these kids start collecting the offering. They get a whole lot more than these ugly men get. Amen. All right, ushers, come on, make your way down this Sunday morning. As always, we appreciate your uh, contributions and your faithfulness to our church. Uh, Miss Connie's going to get ready to sing for us. While she comes, I want to introduce our church to somebody new with us this morning. Wave your hand, Miss Godwin. We're glad you're here, darling. That is Dr. Godwin's mother who has moved up here. And uh, I told uh, Dr. Godwin's husband that he was now top of my prayer list because living in his house is his wife, Daughter and mother, he mother-in-law, he doesn't have room for an opinion anymore. Amen. Gone. But we're glad they're here with us today. We're going to ask God's blessings upon the offering. Sister Connie's going to sing for us. Lord, we love you today, and we're glad to be in your house. Thankful for the opportunity that you've provided for us to come together on a Sunday morning. Lord, we're thankful uh, for, for doors that are open and hearts that are here ready to hear from heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the offering, bless our preaching time this morning in Christ's name. Amen. No mistletoe, no reindeer, no sleigh bells ringing winter wonderland, no ribbons, cards, or bows, no watchful eyes to close, no Santas in the town of Bethlehem, but shepherd boys in quiet expectation journey to the place where wise men go and mankind behold in a stable by the the God of ages wrapped in swaddling clothes. Oh, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus.
Amen. Let's all stand together one more time. Grab your blue songbook again. Turn to hymn number 66. Page 66 at Calvary. We'll sing the first verse chorus. Have a time of fellowship. Page number 66 this morning. Years I spent in vanity and pride Caring not my Lord was crucified
Thank you so much in your Bibles this morning. Second Samuel chapter number nine, if you would please. In your Bible, Second Samuel chapter number nine this morning. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that is frankly one of my top five favorite. If I had to pick a passage that are among my top five favorite to preach out of and a favorite story, this would certainly be among the top of the list. A passage of scripture that is one of the greatest Old Testament stories of what we refer to today, the age of the church, as New Testament grace. I'll start this morning by giving you some definitions of some important words. Words that we will be utilizing throughout the morning. Words that will be extremely important to our understanding of the story this morning. If I would have defined the word justice for you, the word justice means that we get what we deserve. We've done the crime, we do the time. If I were to define the word mercy for you, it would be not getting what we deserve. We've done the crime, but by mercy, we don't have to do the time. But if I were to define the word grace for you, unmerited favor, not only do we not do the time, the evidence of the crime has been removed from our record. There is no greater story in Scripture that defines the New Testament concept of grace than the story of Mephibosheth. I want to use my little lame condition this morning to illustrate for you what I believe is a spectacular image of the grace that God bestows upon his children. Grace that is unmerited. Grace that is simply unbelievable. Grace that the songwriter John Newton described in one simple phrase, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We will in the course of the morning read all 13 verses of 2 Samuel 9, but I'd like to begin by reading the first five. If you found your place, 2 Samuel 9, say amen. Let's read together. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba or Ziba. When they had called him, Unto David the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness or show the kindness of God unto him? Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him. I like that. Let's me know that God's a southerner. Amen. 
Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Father, we are so grateful this morning for the opportunity to be in your house to open up a portion of Scripture. Lord, to illuminate this beautiful doctrine of grace that so permeates our faith. Lord, we recognize that were it not for grace, all hope would be gone. Lord, we understand this morning that were it not for grace, uh, the reality of a church service would be meaningless. Lord, because of that sweet, amazing grace, uh, we have a hope uh, that endureth beyond the grave. Lord, I pray for the preaching this morning. Lord, I've got the outline that I believe you've laid upon our hearts, but Lord, an outline means nothing if you don't empower it with your presence. So Lord, I pray that you'd use us today to preach the outline. Lord, most especially if there's someone here today that's never experienced the transformative grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may today be that day. May this hour be the hour where they too experience that new birth and become a new creature in Christ. Lord, for those of us who are saved, I pray that you would strengthen us today. Lord, that we would be encouraged once again to face the weak underscored by the reality of the grace and mercy of God that accompany us every step of our journey. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Read a story a few weeks ago of three ministers who had become close friends, an unusual trio, Catholic priest, Baptist pastor, and a Jewish rabbi gotten together for several years on Monday mornings to have coffee and an omelet and review the challenges and accomplishments of the previous week. After a few years of meeting together most every Monday morning, their conversations turned to rivalry. They began to try to outdo one another and whose church was doing better and who was accomplishing more. Finally, the trio decided they would settle this thing once and for all decided that they would indicate who was the better uh, minister uh, by who could convert a bear in the wilderness uh, to their respective faith. All three agreed you know, on the terms uh, and went about the following week. The next Monday, the trio came together one more time, and it was the Catholic priest who spoke up first and said, Well, boys, uh, man, I sure had a good week. I looked outside of my office on Wednesday morning, and sure enough, a, a big old brown bear was in the backyard. I went outside. I administered the catechism. I sprinkled him with holy water. He was converted to the Catholic faith, and next Saturday, uh, he will be taking Holy Communion. The other two nodded their head in appreciation. The Baptist pastor spoke up next and said, well, that ain't nothing. On Friday, uh, I was out in the woods hunting. You know he was a Baptist pastor. I was out in the woods hunting up in my tree stand and never once saw a deer, but I sure saw a bear come walking by. So I descended out of my tree stand. Uh, I opened up my little pocket Gideon New Testament. Uh, I preached hellfire and brimstone, and right there in front of me, uh, that old bear knelt, uh, and I took him down to the river and baptized him there in the creek. All eyes turned to the Jewish rabbi who looked up and said, Well, fellas, I too saw a bear on Saturday. 
But now that I'm thinking about it, uh, I probably should not have started with circumcision. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, man. That's probably not a mixed company joke, but you liked it anyway, didn't you? <laughs> the passage this morning is one of the clearest pictures of the amazing grace of God that we see in the Old Testament. When David decides to be a blessing to someone of the house of Saul, unbeknownst to him, he is about to rain grace down upon the son of one of his dearest friends, Jonathan. And in this text, David takes a man from a hopeless situation, transforms him, and forever changes his life. We preach this message this morning, looking at it from a brand new perspective that I've ever looked at before. I want to give you a message that I'm entitled, No Wonder Grace is Called Amazing. No wonder grace is called amazing. Three things that I want you to understand this morning, all of which are clearly, I think, illustrated in this Second Samuel 9 passage. Note with me, number one, how grace is extended. How grace is extended. When you look in Second Samuel chapter number 9, the story opens up and begins in the throne room of David. David has in his heart a desire to extend grace to a member of Saul's family. Let me ask you this morning, what is the reason for the grace? Why is it that David would have in his heart a desire uh, to be a blessing to the previous king's families? That question is answered in chapter number 1, or chapter number 9 rather, verse number 1. Notice what it says. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? And note that last prepositional phrase, for Jonathan's sake. David says publicly, openly, that he wants to show someone from the family of Saul some kindness because of Jonathan. It should not surprise us that the word kindness is also translated in Scripture as goodness, mercy, favor, and loving kindness. It is an Old Testament word that has a very clear New Testament meaning of grace, the unmerited, matchless favor of God towards the undeserving. But I will also say to you this morning that when you think about it, the reality of David's heart is even more amazing. Because the culture of the day dictated that when a new king came to the throne, the family of the previous king were not just removed, they were to be executed. In fact, you study the lineage and the history of Israel, and you will find that when a new king comes to the throne, the family of the old king was always executed. But, Jay, but, 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 but David decides to extend kindness to the family of the previous king, not because of Saul, but because of Jonathan. So think with me now. The grace of David is extended because of someone else, not because of Jonathan, not because of Mephibosheth, or not because of Saul, rather, or because of Mephibosheth, but because of his love for Jonathan. 
I want to say to you this morning, every one of us that have ever been saved, we've also experienced grace, and it's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because of what we've accomplished. It's not because of the good things to our name. If we have experienced the transformative, redemptive, and amazing grace of God, it is because God showed kindness to us because of his son, Jesus Christ. No wonder it's called amazing. Not only do you see the reason for the grace, but I want you to notice something that I've not seen, in fact, having preached out of this half a dozen times. I've never seen this before until a few weeks ago. I want you to know with me the reach of the grace. The reach of the grace. Notice again in verse number one where David says, Is there yet any of the house of Saul? And again in verse four, it mentions the fact that he's looking for any, or verse 3 rather, uh, he said, is there any of the house of Saul? I submit to you this morning that, that David is not looking for someone with certain criteria. He's not looking for a soldier. He's not looking for an academic or an intellectual. He's not looking for someone with certain abilities. Uh, he is looking for an anybody uh, who is of the family of Saul. Anybody who was of the family of Saul uh, was a candidate for the grace of David. In fact, we might call it today, he's looking for a whosoever. He's looking for anyone who is of the house and lineage of Saul to whom he might show grace. May I pause just a moment and say to everybody in the building, and I hope you'll amen me on this, uh, God's amazing grace knows no limits or boundaries. Uh, his grace extends to people regardless of their past, uh, regardless of their race, uh, regardless of their social standings, uh, regardless of their deeds. Uh, God does not reach out to save the righteous, uh, but Mark 2.17 says that he calls the sinner to repentance, uh, and anyone, he says, who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. No wonder grace, according to Newton, is called amazing. The reason for the grace, the reach of the grace. But notice the residence of the grace. If you jump with me down to verse number five, you'll find some very interesting names that speak to the condition of the grandson of Saul, Mephibosheth. You understand that these names have meanings. Verse number 5 tells us, Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar. I'll let you know quickly that the name Mephibosheth means shameful. The name Machir means sold. And the name Lodabar means no pasture. I'll remind you that in human terms, Mephibosheth had been a somebody. In the past, Mephibosheth had been the grandson of the previous king. He had been born in the first two years of his life, reared in the palace of royalty. But as the old king was deposed and the transformation of power began to happen, the Bible tells us that a nurse runs in and grabs Mephibosheth in an attempt to rescue him and in so doing drops him and renders him lame on both of his feet. Now 
this grandson of the king has for the last 20, 25 years been in hiding, afraid that the next knock upon the door would be that of the royal family coming to take his life, worried that his next step would be his last, worried over the fact that his life was forever in imminent danger, mature, sold, Lodabar, no pasture. I'll pause just a moment. Say what a beautiful picture this is of the lost man apart from Jesus Christ. May I say to you this morning that regardless of what you may have accomplished physically, spiritually, uh, without the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we're sold and in no pasture. Regardless of what we may have accomplished by the world's standards, uh, the lost sinner uh, is in a place of no pasture uh, and of no hope. Uh, yet I pause to say this morning, uh, the grace uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, is available to every lost sinner, uh, to everyone uh, who will simply uh, come to him in faith. No wonder it's called amazing. The reason for the grace the reach for the grace, the residence of the grace. But notice, if you would please, the response of grace. The response of grace. When David is told in verse number three, Ziba said, Jonathan hath yet a son. And he clarifies that by saying, but he's lame on both of his feet. I need to put this in a cultural context for you. You see, in biblical days, and especially in the Old Testament, to have a physical deformity was considered a mark of shame. It's no accident that the name of this young boy is Mephibosheth, which means shameful. So when Ziba says to David, Jonathan's son is alive, he follows that up by saying, but... He's lame on both of his feet. If I could paraphrase that, it's as if the servant says, uh, yeah, there's somebody alive, all right, but you don't want anything to do with him. He's shameful. Uh, he's living in a place of no pasture, uh, sold. Uh, he's an embarrassment. Uh, he's a reproach. Uh, he's not somebody that would be welcomed back at the palace. Now, I love David's response. Look, if you would, please, at verse number five. Then King David sent and fetched him. Then King David sent and fetched him. It's as almost as if David said, where is he? I'll take him just like he is. It's almost as if David said, I understand that he's shameful. I'll take him. I understand that he's an embarrassment. I'll take him. I understand that his past is wretched. I'll take him. I understand that he's of the previous royal family. I'll take him. May I say to you this morning that we too, if we've ever been gloriously born again, we too have been fetched by the servant of God. We don't call it fetch today. Today, we call it conviction. We call it the wooing of the Spirit of God. My Bible tells me in John chapter 6, verse 44, that if any man comes to God, he will be drawn by the Spirit. But I will stop for a moment and say, thank God for the day where he sent the Spirit of God to fetch me out of 
of sin and shame. So, David was told what kind of man Mephibosheth was. David's response was, go get him. When David was told that he was lame on both of his feet, David's response was, go get him. I'll take him. Aren't you glad this morning that when the Spirit of God came to convict you and the enemy said, oh God, you don't want her. Her past is too wicked. God looked over the portals of heaven and said, I'll take her. Aren't you glad this morning uh, that when you knelt at an old-fashioned altar uh, to accept the Lord Jesus into your heart uh, and the enemy tried to say, oh, he can't be saved. He's too vile. He's too wicked. He's messed up too badly. God looks over the glorious portals of heaven and said, I'll take him just as he is. No wonder it's called amazing. Now grace is extended. Notice if you would, secondly this morning, not only how grace is extended, notice how grace is embraced. How grace is embraced. For just a moment, put yourself in the shoes of Mephibosheth, an adult male who spent your entire life in hiding. An adult who's not been raised in the palace where you were born, but has been raised in a cave in hiding. Adult who from day to day never knew if this day would be your last. Who from one hour to the next knew uh, that to step foot out of the location in which you resided was to take your life in your hands. Then sitting in the comfort of your home, you hear the wheels of the chariot. You hear the sound of the gate opening, the door closing. You understand that now your hour is at an end. You recognize that if a soldier is here, it means they've located you. It means they have found you, and it means that the next breath will likely be your last. Imagine the fear that Mephibosheth had as he was literally picked up, placed in the chariot. Imagine the treacherous heart he felt. It's the long journey back to the palace. And as he sees the palace again for the first time in 25 years, they pull him out of the chariot, carry him into the throne room of David, and literally plant him in the very throne room of the king himself. I submit to you this morning that the humble reaction of Mephibosheth is entirely appropriate. Look at verse number six. Then, now when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Can I stop a moment and say Mephibosheth was no dummy? Mephibosheth, though he was the grandson of a king, he wasn't the grandson of the king. And so when he was deposited in front of David, he did not look up at David and say, how dare you come get me from my home? 
How dare you drag me here? How dare you do this to me? Do you not know who I am? Rather, Mephibosheth wisely bows his head, reverences the king, and as David speaks his name, Mephibosheth, he responds with, Behold thy servant. Why does he react this way? Because Mephibosheth, please get me this morning, he knows who he is, and he knows who the king is. Let me say that again. When Mephibosheth is planted in front of King David, he does not look up and say, do you know who I am? Rather, he recognizes who he is, recognizes who the king is. And I say to everybody who hears my breath this morning, we will never experience the transformational grace of Jesus until we recognize just how sinful we are and how sinless he is. We will never experience the glory of being born again until we understand that we deserve judgment, that our sinful past destines us for eternal separation from God. And so when we're brought into the presence of the king, our only reaction is to understand that he's everything and we are nothing. It's humility. But then notice his humility quickly transforms into happiness why well it all happens in verse number seven and david said unto him notice the next two words fear not i can just imagine the anguish pain the dread that immediately fled from the face of Mephibosheth as he heard the king say the next statement, for I will surely show thee kindness. Jonathan's sake, thy father's sake, and he doesn't stop there, church. You see, I hope you get me on what I'm about to say. Had he stopped there, that would have been mercy. But he doesn't stop with that. Notice the next clause. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And good golly, Miss Molly, if, as if it wasn't good enough already, he then says, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. <laughs> I don't want to read between the lines here, but I am going to apply a little bit of Gregology. I think when David looked at Mephibosheth, saw Jonathan you see you need to understand David and Jonathan were like this David loved Jonathan and Jonathan loved David even though Jonathan was the son of David's enemy these two boys loved each other uh, with a precious love uh, of two dear friends and when Jonathan was killed in battle uh, David's heart broke so when David saw Mephibosheth think in his mind's eye saw his best friend Jonathan can I say just a moment church that is the doctrine that we call today imputation. 
That's a big word, preacher. What does it mean? It means simply this. If you've ever been saved, when God sees you, he doesn't see you for the sins of your past. He doesn't see you for what you are or for what you've done. When he sees you, he sees the blood of the lamb. He sees you in the same way that he sees his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So when we become born again, we literally become adopted into the family of God. No wonder grace is called amazing. Quickly, how it's extended, how it's embraced. Finally, how it is expanded. I'll close this morning in much the same way I opened, by defining key terms. You see, had Mephibosheth gotten justice, listen now, the servant would have shown up and killed him. Because of his lineage, because of his heritage, because of his past, that's what he deserved. That's an unkind statement, but that's the reality. May I say to everyone this morning, if we've never been saved, if we've never been born again, justice is one day going to be ours. This is not popular preaching anymore. Folks don't like to hear about it. But my Bible says to me that the only way to get to heaven is through the door, and the door is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's justice. Had Mephibosheth gotten mercy, David would have looked at him and said, I know who your family is. I know who you are, but your sentence has been commuted. Go back and live out the rest of your life in peace. You never have to worry about a thing again. And everybody would have said, what an incredible king. He doesn't have to do that. That would have been divine mercy. But David doesn't stop there. David doesn't give justice. David doesn't give mercy. David gives grace. Why? Look with me, please, at verse number 9. King said to Ziba, Saul's servant, said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits uh, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread at always at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that the Lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table. And good golly, look at the next clause. As one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son. Name was Micah. All that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He did eat continually at the king's table. Was lame on both of his feet. May I submit to you this morning, closing scenario. The moments after David issues the order, there are plenty who don't understand what's happened. 
Word has not yet spread over the grace of David towards Mephibosheth, and now it's supper time. Again, allow me just to create a scenario, if I may. In walks David's wife, Abigail. She sits down at her place at the table. After all, she's the wife of the king. In walks Absalom, stunningly beautiful, perfect, and handsome in every way as described by the Bible. As the son of David, he has and deserves a place at the table. In walks Tamar, the daughter of David. She too, as a royal descendant, as an heir, she has earned a place at the table. She's the daughter of the king. She belongs there. In walks the other children, one by one, each taking their place at the table of the king. Here comes Joab, the general of David's army. He too, as a commander of the royal army, he deserves and belongs at the table. Wait a minute. Coming down the hallway. There's the sound. Shuffling feet. All eyes turn. Mephibosheth drags his way to the palace table. All eyes turn to question why someone of such ill repute, why someone who's not part of the family, why someone who is lame would dare to make such an entrance. I can just imagine one of the servants, Mephibosheth drags his way to the table, looking at Mephibosheth and saying, who are you and how did you get here? Mephibosheth, Smile creeps across his face. Tears begin to stream. He says, I'm a nobody, but I made it here by grace. I'm not anybody special. I wasn't born to this family. I wasn't part of the royal livelihood, but I'm here because of the grace of the king. And I say to you this morning, you've ever been gloriously saved, you have the same testimony. You're not here because of who you are. You're not here because of what you've done. You're not here because of any of accomplishments you've ever done. You are here this morning. Just as Kyle wrote many years ago, I know how I made it. I made it by grace. Tomorrow, when it's supper time, here comes Mephibosheth. The next day when it's supper time, here comes Mephibosheth. Why? Hated by grace. And let me give you a closing image. Another image I'd never thought about before. Imagine for just a second, as he scooches up to the table, the place where is in front of him. He's not been raised in this kind of ambiance. He doesn't know which fork to use first. He doesn't know which of the 12 glasses in front of him is for juice, water, and sweet tea. So he looks around and thinks to himself, I don't belong here. But then the tablecloth is spread. Startling white. Perfect in every way. Servant 
scooches Mephibosheth under the table. And when that crystal white tablecloth covers his lame legs, suddenly he belongs. He looks just like everybody else. Covered in white, you can't see what he... Covered in white, you can't see where he came from. You can't see what he used to be. You can't see what it is he got out of. Sitting at the table, covered in white, adopted into the family, he sits up with his shoulders high, knowing he's there because of the grace of the king. Child of God, if you're like me, the enemy tries to remind you of what you used to be tries to remind you of what you used to do can I just pause a moment and say every time he reminds you of what you used to be and where you used to go and what you used to do it does you good to remind him of where he's going to end up no wonder grace called let's stand to our feet this morning I want to ask you a couple of questions. I'll ask you to bow your heads with me. I'll start by a simple question, but it's incredibly important. Have you ever been fetched? Has the convicting work of the Spirit of God ever shown you your lost condition? Have you ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit letting you know that you're not saved? you're saved by grace you know what I'm talking about you might not remember the place you might not remember the time you might not remember the hour you might not even remember the day of the week but if you've ever been saved you can remember a time in your life where the Spirit of God convicted you showed you your lost condition grace of God was extended to you I want to ask you two questions this morning with nobody looking, is there anyone here that would just be honest and say, Pastor, that doesn't describe me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know that I'm going to go to heaven, but I do know I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Anyone like that, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm going to ask you a second question, and I haven't asked this in a while now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to step out. If you're here today and you have felt that convicting work of the Spirit, you know you're part of the family. God, you got loved ones. you got family members. Perhaps even sat down with them at the table this week. Looked them at the eye and you know that they're not in. They're not part of the family of God. Maybe God is putting their face in front of you right now. That describes somebody you know, somebody you love. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but why don't you step out? Join me at this altar this morning. Let's pray for that loved one. Let's pray for that family member, that child, that parent, that sibling, that co-worker. That you know needs the convicting work of the Spirit sent their way. Brother Ken's going to sing for us now. 
beautiful song, Just As I Am, that describes you. You come this morning. Ken, sing for us. Just as 